Welcome to Keeping Curious, the podcast that explores creative living through conversations with artists, designers and anyone in between. So whether you're just starting out, feeling stuck or a little lonely in the studio, I'm here to keep you company and keep you curious. Hi guys and welcome back to Keeping Curious. In this episode, I'm joined by inspirational man behind the digitalmechanic.com. Rob Gurney is a photographer, videographer and graphic designer, but I met him over 10 years ago when he was working for a local consumer electronics brand. And although I knew he did a bit of photography on the side, I had no idea of the depths of creativity that lay beneath his beard. But what inspires me most about Rob, apart from his incredibly varied portfolio and obvious talent, is his amazing work ethic. I wanted to share his story with you particularly, as he has set up a creative business, had his work featured in national publications, is the resident photographer of O2 Leicester, and has achieved all of this while maintaining a demanding full-time job. Rob shows that lack of time is no excuse and that it is possible to structure your day to fit in more creativity. The best part about Rob's story, though, is he only picked up the camera four years ago, showing it's never too late to try something new, and the amazing unexpected benefits that happen when you do. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Keeping Curious. This is my first interview where I'm actually on location, which is quite exciting. <laughs> um, so I think that it might make sense to do the first question as describe where we are, describe your setup. Describe where we are. Um, well, we're here in my, um, my studio, um, which is in the um, centre of Leicester, um, very conveniently located, about five minutes up from the train station. Yeah, and it's a photography studio. Yeah, it's a photography uh, say. Uh, it's my, my studio of work of the, the kind of the, the three amigos, which is photography, videography, and graphic design. Yeah. So we have uh, the, the the area we're in. We have a, a shooting area where we do photography and various sort of um, video um, projects. Um, then we have the bit where we actually sat at the moment, which is where I kind of do all the uh, the work afterwards, all the editing and uh, all the graphic design work and uh, what have you. Yeah. Do you find you spend more time where we are at the moment behind the screen? Uh, it sort of varies. It, it depends with. Um, it depends on a general rule of thumb, but with, with videography, definitely. Um, a a two-hour video shoot could take you anything 30 hours to edit. Yeah. Um, whereas a two-hour photography shoot can be all done in 20 minutes, depending on what it is. Mm. So it kind of varies. It's, uh, Do you try and orchestrate your shoots to cut down on editing time? So are you bearing that in mind when you're making the work? Not really. I mean, in as much as you kind of learn over time, um, you try and sort of streamline your workflow. And you kind of learn by not necessarily mistakes, but things you know you could have done better um, yeah. in previous occasions. Especially when you're sort of working now with sort of multiple camera edits and various yeah. other things, um, you kind of learn a how to kind of run the set better because you have more experience as a director, mm. which, which kind of massively helps. Um, and definitely when it comes to, to editing, I've kind of found a, a few nice ways now that work for me where I can kind of do sort of seven, eight, nine multi-camera edits yeah. done really fast. Yeah. Now, um, so, so that's kind of helped matters. How important is the kit? Um, it's like everything. Um, it's more important, actually, that you know inside out and back to front how what kit you have works than having the best and most expensive and fancy toys. Yeah. Now, with that said, of course, when you're into the realms of professional gear, the kit is better. Um, but for most people, it's not that much better, and most people wouldn't actually know. Because the only people that would ever, for example, look at a photograph um, sort of really zoomed in and go what we in the trade called pixel peeping. Mm. These other photographers, 
Yeah. And they're not your customers. That, you know, your customers don't care. So who's your customers? Who's your audience? Um, because I've quite a sort of varied span of things, it tends to be a lot of things. Anything from sort of um, business to business. Um, you'll see the um, the little pink unicorns we have around here. I've seen a few. Yep, that was um, <laughs> the um, a preschool that I had a... A wonderful time um, with some three-year-old children doing their end-of-year photos. I bet they were fun to try and direct. Yep, the most harrowing two hours of my entire life. <laughs> they were um, they were very clear in the brief that they gave me. The um, the previous guy that they had um, kind of cheated a bit because they asked for a full-length shot of the child, a three-quarter length, and then a headshot. Yeah. And what the previous guy did was took one shot and then cropped it three times. I think most of them do that. Yeah, and and having done the shoot now, I understand completely why because trying to get a child to concentrate for one. <laughs> moments is difficult enough yeah. without trying to get them to actually concentrate for three different moments. Yeah. Um, lesson learnt. Lesson learnt. And also, um, don't do the, um, the, the shooting in front of the other children. Because when you start using things like puppets and what have you to keep them entertained, by the time the, the, half the children come to actually be photographed, they've actually seen it and said, mate, I've seen that, I'm bored now. Yeah. That ain't working. No. And you have to try and think of something else. So, yeah, we have to enlist the whole group class at one point to try and make one child smile. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's... Um, so that's that's one example. Um, I started off um, solely working with musicians, yeah. um, specifically sort of bands, sort of live, sort of touring the local scene, mm. um, and that was everything from sort of live performance shoots that then kind of progressed to um, sort of promotional shoots for things that you use for posters, album covers, okay, that cool. kind of thing. Which again, um, depending on the band and who they were, I actually got involved with designing and doing that side of it. Kind for of them. all hands. As well, yeah. I mean, the the, the whole ethos with sort of digital mechanic was to be you know a one stop shop. Yeah. Um, you know, because none of this was really planned and it all started because I had a significant birthday and didn't really own a decent camera so I bought one. Okay. Um, which was, you know, four, well, just literally four days four days and four years uh, ago today, which is bizarre really when wow. you kind of think on the top. So line. all of this is built from four years? Built, yeah, built in four years. It's literally just had its uh, fourth anniversary. Wow. Well, fourth anniversary from actually buying the thing, much less learning how to use it and actually deciding that there was some sort of business tucked away mm. in all So were you always interested in photography? Um, I was always more snapshots than actual, uh, dare I say, grown up photography. Mm. Um, and that, you know, I used to, when I went on holiday somewhere nice, always sort of took pictures. Um, never owned a, um, a proper film, you know, manual film camera. I always yeah. had like your, your kind of Kodak APS-C or, you know, your point and shoots and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but never actually owned one where you had to kind of know how it worked to actually get any images out of it. Yeah. So are you completely self-taught from that birthday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just completely. It's just kind of... Um, I've, I've, been, I've worked in consumer electronics now for the better part of 20 years. Um, and I've always been sort of quite nerdy and quite techy. And my, my roles have always been find a product, strip it down, take it to pieces and find out what you can do better. Yeah. And find out how it works, what makes it tick. And it's exactly the same thing with the camera. Um, and it kind of played into kind of my sense of nerdity in as much as that it's... It's all maths. Yeah. And, and, and I like maths because maths is one of the few subjects I was actually good at when I was at school. Well, I thought that was quite interesting with the actual name Digital Mechanic because it, it kind of, it is about that stripping back and making how something works and as much about kind of creative problem solving as it is about creativity. The actual um, the naming of the company was actually much even simpler than that. There was no um, sort of pretense. Um, digital, because everything that I do is done in the digital realm. I.e. we don't shoot film cameras. Everything's done digitally. Yeah. 
um, all the video works done digitally, all the graphic design works done digitally. There's actually very, li very little kind of real-world input, to mm. be honest. It's um, very much um, it's like Tron, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Preparing for the future. We are the grid. Um, and then Mechanic, that was simply my nickname at work, because people kept giving me broken stuff to fix. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how we met, kind yeah. of, ten years ago. And I never knew that this was in you, but I suppose if it's only come about four years ago, then that's kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's how you say kind of, you know, even... It was in me. It was. No, it was just I didn't really have a much of a plan, and none of this was planned at all. Um, I mean, from the outside looking in, it, it would might appear that everything's kind of happened and sort of grown organically, and there's a clear game plan behind it. But mm. it genuinely wasn't. Um, I kind of bought a camera because I didn't have one, and I thought I should, you know, treat myself for a birthday. Yeah. Um, and I, as I had one, I thought I might as well learn how to use the thing properly. Started taking a few pictures of it, and I thought, "My God, this is immense! I've never had anything like this before." And just got massively smitten and bitten by the bug. Yeah. And then it was kind of then right, kind of nerd out and find out, you know, a bit more about all this, really. Yeah, because it seems from looking at your portfolio, you, it's quite a lot of the alternative scene. Yeah, I mean that's just more, I suppose, the um, what what kind of interests me personally in terms of things that, you know, if I'm sort of flicking through a magazine or, you know, if I'm a look on, you know. Um, whatever's going on today on Flickr, you know, just kind of having a look at what's, what, what they find, what they deem as interesting. Mm. Um, it's usually the darker images that I'll kind of stop and have a look at. Yeah. Um, probably says more about my dark soul than <laughs> anything else. Don't worry, I've got a dark soul um, too. <laughs> but even my sort of fashion work has been sort of relatively sort of dark and moody, you know, like, I don't really sort of gravitate towards the kind of bright floodlit kind of case yeah. catalogue kind of stuff. That's the wedding not... photography kind of. Well, weddings I, I, I do periodically, um, mainly by request. I don't even sort of advertise the fact that I shoot weddings, mm. um, but I seem to get booked for sort of a fair few. Yeah. Um, I think with weddings, it's more, it's less about the photography because you don't really have time to sort of set everything up apart from the kind of um, the formals and the couple shots. That's the only time of the day you can actually plan anything really. Yeah. Everything else, you, you're very much, you know, you're, you're very reactive um, as opposed to sort of proactive. But I imagine that's the same as when you're in a gig. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing, and you kind of, you, you almost after a while, I guess, you, you kind of develop a knack for catching moments. Yeah. And that's really what good wedding photography is about. It's not mm. about you know the, the amount of sort of bokeh in the background and the depth of field and how you've done your lighting. That's actually completely and utterly secondary to the moment. Even if the picture's slightly out of focus, it doesn't matter if it's a beautiful moment. Yes, and if you've managed to capture something that was a fraction of a second long, but was a pivotal point of that day, yeah, it's a real kind of skill. And the you know, and then when when you kind of hand the images back to the couple, really, what you know, you, it's not a, necessarily a photographic exercise at that point. It's storytelling. Yeah. Because the the images should tell you know replay the story of their special day. Because most couples, and you're married, so you, you know mm -hmm. you, you've uh, you've been there. Been there, done that. So you know, on the day, you're just like a bit of a rabbit in headlights. You know, yeah. you just whiz through the whole day, and then you think, wow, that was over, but I don't really remember much of it. Mm. Uh, maybe that's because of the amount of champagne you've had, or just because it was a busy day, <laughs> whatever the case may be. So really, most couples don't actually get to see their wedding until they get the images back from the photographer. Yeah. And then they kind of sit down and they actually relive the day through that. Mm. So that is fundamentally as as with all photography actually it's, it's content is king mm. you know it's it's very easy and i was i was as guilty of it if not more so than anybody when i started because that was kind of you know nerdy techie was my background yeah was you kind of get carried away with oh look you know how sharp it is and how well lit it is and look at the, the composition and all the rest of it um but if you are for example taking someone's portrait doesn't matter how technically good you think that photo is if the, the person doesn't like the way they look it's not a good photo yeah 
and you just kind of have to sign on to that. Mm. So how do you, well, do you prefer studio or live? Personally, I prefer live. Um, I was never really a, a studio shooter. The, the main reason I ended up in one um, was that I was just slowly but surely getting buried alive at home um, with the, the sort of, you know, the, the kit that I was amassing as I was kind of going along the journey, really. Yeah. Um, and also, I've got a cat. Now, if you ever try to do any sort of meaningful work on a laptop at home with a cat... <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, you can kind of, you kind of understand. I mean, and especially when the cat's really cute and you kind of want to give them a fuss and all the rest of it. So it's not sort of terribly conducive to working. Yeah. You know, so you've got, you've got distractions at home, whereas kind of what I've got here now, um, you kind of look around and everything just screams work. Mm. You know, you've got, you know, bits of kit everywhere and it's all kind of related and it, it's, it's quiet and there's no cat stepping on the keyboard every five minutes. <laughs> um, so it's kind of a, a nice kind of place to just sit and kind of concentrate and I can get twice as much work done in half the amount of time yeah. just from having a quiet kind of space dedicated, dedicated to work. And what it's also actually given me as well is that the, um, is the separation between life and work. Mm. Because what you, what you sort of find if you're sort of working from home is you just keep working to the wee small hours, uh, especially as a freelancer because, you know, let's face it, we don't turn anything down because yeah. <laughs> within reason actually, but um, it's, it's difficult. So you find yourself, oh my God, it's three in the morning, right, better put the computer away and go to bed and you're up at seven and doing it all over again. Yeah. You're literally just working and sleeping. Mm. Whereas now, kind of work here till, you know, whatever time, you know, till midnight, one o'clock, um, go home, actually now fuss the cat. Yeah. And not feel guilty about it because I'm not, the cat's not interrupting my work. So yeah. I can actually give my cat some actual proper attention, uh, watch a movie and then just kind of wind down, clear your mind and actually go to bed and have some, have better rest. Yeah, and have definite spaces where you, have a purpose in each yeah. one so this is your workspace yeah um, and when you're at home it's to relax and yeah. wind down um, so it's kind of that was the, the main goal for kind of wanting somewhere you know to have my own space it was kind of the, I guess a logical sort of step and a logical progression um, but everything I've done kind of leading up to that almost everything um, was sort of out on location either um, live bands and I still shoot live bands to the day um, among other things that um, the house photography at the O2 Academy yeah. Um, uh, down the road. So um, is that something that's come about from the venue? Um, that, well, that was something that came, um, sort of just kind of presented itself really, um, in as much as they were they were looking for someone, um, and somewhere along the line my name got mentioned. Okay, um, nice. And then, yeah, that's, so that kind of happened really. I think, again, that's quite not, exciting. certainly not, not planned. Yeah. Um, I'm sensing a theme. Yeah, yeah, it's just literally, not, you know, it's just, it's just, I mean, I've been either you know, sort of lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it, but, you know, I've been, um, I've met some really good people along the way that kind of sort of, um, you know, helped me and kind of given me a, um, a goal, mm. you know, because there's, there's nothing worse than when, you know, sort of people are telling you that, you know, that you're good at what you're doing and all the rest of it, because the tendency at that point is to kind of take your foot off the pedal yeah. and kind of become complacent. Mm. Um, so I've always kind of needed to have other people around that are better th th than me at what I'm doing. To kind of compete. To say, right, yeah, and you're not kind of competing from a business perspective. Again, that was never the, the goal for all this. Mm. Um, it was purely, um, I guess, a, a creative endeavour as opposed to a financial one. Yeah. Because I can assure you, in this day and age, if there's, if you wanted to um, create a business and go out and make money at it, the last thing you would become is a freelance photographer. <laughs> or any creative. Or, or any creative, for that matter. Um, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it's something I quantified once as, as tangible value, and that's the problem with the world today, unfortunately. There was, um, in, in the kind of the photographic zone, you once upon a time had a nice little circle where you had professional photographers, and you had models, and you had magazines, publications. Mm. 
And what would happen is that you would have, you know, young aspiring models would, God forbid, pay a photographer to have a, a portfolio shoot done. Yeah. That model would then go on to take those portfolio shots to an agency who would find them work in various sort of commercial endeavours, etc. The proceeds of that would be sold to a magazine. The magazine would be sold to Joe Public and everybody in that nice little loop got paid. Yeah. Now somewhere along the line, I think it's probably about the time the internet happened really, is that just everybody stopped buying magazines. Because why would you go and buy a magazine when you can have the same content on your computer, on your phone, on your tablet, and pay nothing for it? I think there's also, everyone thinks of a photographer now, because the camera phones are a good quality, much better than they have been previously. Anyone who's got an Instagram account thinks of a photographer. But to be honest, I actually applaud that for the, for the most part. Um, I despise the Instagram filters because yeah. everybody uses them, it's like, and just, just stop doing it. It's not good. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't good without a filter, it won't be good after you've applied a filter. Yeah. You know, it's like the Dutch angle is one of my personal pet hates. I know it's a thing, and I'll probably get shouted at by every photographer out there, but it's just a wonky picture, is all it is. <laughs> if it wasn't interesting, with you know, you don't look at the world with your head on your side, and even if you do, it's still straight up. Yeah. The world doesn't move as you move your head, so why, why do it in a photo? Yeah. It just looks a bit odd, but that's just my personal, personal rant. <laughs> um, but what actually the, the whole kind of camera phone revolution has done, and I was kind of right there in the forefront of it. I mean, many moons ago, I used to work in a phone shop and remember having like, the first camera phone that you know, the, like, that big fat Nokia, I think it was like 0.3 of a megapixel or something. Yeah. And you know, Christ, how the world's moved on. Um, but what it has done is actually put photography back on the radar and actually back into people's minds. Mm. Because for the longest time, it basically vanished. Mm. People kind of got bored of carrying cameras around with them. Um, as a wise man once said, an American photographer by the name of uh, Chase Jarvis, that the best camera you have is the one you've got with you. Yeah. Because you could have, you know, 10 grand's worth of kit at home, great, but if you've not got it with you, it's if a you're point, not there what, in the moment. Yeah, what, what use is it? So, you know, sort of following that kind of through to its sort of natural conclusion, there's a lot more people out there now, kind of, you know, actively, um, you know, in fact, being photographers. If you're taking a picture, then you are a photographer at yeah. whatever level. Um, and then add to that then that, um, because the camera companies have basically lost all the consumer business in terms of your point and shoots and your little um, compact cameras, because at that level, really, you might as well use a phone because it's not a lot different in quality. Mm. So at that point, they said, right, what do we do? We've lost all this business. You know, the, the professionals are actually dwindling for the, the aforementioned reasons. That, you know. So they started making um, consumer standard, but decent quality sort of SLRs and DSLRs um, really affordable where you know for sort of 400 quid you can actually buy yourself some kind of really passable kit now and actually do for the most part a decent job with it if mm. you know what you're doing so that's kind of helped on that the side of the anybody wanting to get into photography it's never been cheaper to start yeah um, you know with sort of decent equipment the downside of that of course is that every man and his dog is in fact a photographer now mm. um, and, so every, and everything you see it's got you know copyright you know Joe Bloggs photography at the bottom, little watermark at the bottom of his pictures. Yeah. Um, so you've got a lot of um, sort of professionals, I'm going to use the word lightly there, um, I'll explain why in a moment, kind of complaining that um, you know, it's, the, it's the amateur have-a-go heroes, the, the guys with cameras that are putting them all out of business and all the rest of it. Now, the, the only truth to that is that the, the people using these guys are people that do not care about quality. Mm. And if you, as a professional, can't be better than a hobbyist with a camera, then you're in the wrong game anyway. Your job is to be better. So that yeah. after, after when someone actually needs a professional, 
an amateur can't rise to that level mm. and, and there you are and that's and that's then becomes your customer so actually what you should end up with is actually a better customer base than you had before yeah because people understand the need for it yeah. where before uh, if you needed a photo you would go there um, now they realize the difference between an amateur and a professional yeah and it, it should be that clear you know your work should it just shouldn't look like something that any man who's just bought his first point and shoot kind of entry level cannon whatever and shot on auto mm. if your pictures look like that then you can't really be expecting to charge for your work mm. so how has your work developed over the four years oh god um in terms of standard i mean obviously there's there's so much to kind of kind of learn um, the first thing for me that was kind of learned how your camera works and the sort of interaction between sort of cameras and lenses. Mm. Um, sort of harking back to what I said earlier was that it's more important that you know how your stuff works than having the best stuff. And you kind of know that on you know in a in a and usually when you're shooting gigs, it's usually in a, in a dimly lit environment um, with the odd bit of stage lights. Depending, I mean, the O2 can be can be great. It's got a great set of stage lights. Just sometimes you choose not to turn any of them on, and then you're left with a really dingy uh, sort of arena. And you've only got three songs to, before they kick you out of the pit, so you know yeah. you've kind of got to get a bit of a, a bit of a wriggle on. So you kind of get used to sort of shooting in low light, and you get to a point where you kind of know that you know with X, Y, Z camera settings and a certain aperture on the lens that you're using that you're going to be able to get you know um, a passable shot, a decent shot mm -hmm. in low light, and then that sort of thing then almost becomes ingrained in you. You kind of like gravitate to that kind of straight away, yeah. rather than standing there kind of. Uh, for sort of 10 minutes keep taking test shots trying to find one trying to work out what you're doing wrong you find that with more experience you can sort of dial it in to the situation that you're working with much quicker yeah so in those situations are you taking hundreds of photos or are you trying to line it up no i mean again and that's that's something that you kind of um or certainly well i don't know if it's generally but certainly as i've progressed you know you'd start off taking hundreds and then you have to sit there going through them all and it's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, maybe, no, no. And then you think, man, this is taking up time. And again, what we were talking about earlier about kind of tr streamlining workflows. Whereas now you kind of sort of wait for the, you know, wait, wait, for, wait for a moment. And I'll probably use three quarters of the stuff that I shoot on a live gig now. Yeah. Whereas before I'd use 25%. So, yeah. you know, I, I kind of, you know. The experience is Yeah, it's kind of, you know, kind of, you know shoot more edit less yeah it's the kind of you know because i really enjoy the shooting part of it but there's nothing worse than you have to spend like you're effectively wasting an hour going through the, you know the hundreds of images that you've shot mm -hmm. to then go you know before you can actually start to edit the ones that you like yeah. you know you want to get into that productive zone as fast as you can mm. so this is supposed to be the first question but obviously we've been chatting for a while what does creativity mean to you i think just uh, because I'm sort of quite sort of elementary about things, um, it's just simply the ability to create something, mm. and that could be anything. You know, that could be um, um, a, a pot from clay. It could be um, a painting. You know, it could be a, you know a photograph. It could be a piece of music. You know, and I've, I've sort of been introduced to so many things kind of over the last four years, and a lot of stuff that didn't make any sense in my life before, mm. um, which is bizarre. Um, two, two of the most notable things would definitely be art and poetry yeah. that I had literally no appreciation for, no interest in whatsoever um, sort of prior to sort of almost coming across it I guess on a, on a professional level um, in 2013 I was um, tasked with um, taking the photographs there's a, the, what, what, the, what they now call the old phoenix 
um, theatre in Leicester. Um, it was celebrating its 50th anniversary. Okay. It's, it's of course now called the Sue Townsend Theatre because we now in Leicester have a new phoenix in the cultural quarter. Um, <laughs> not confusing at all. Not confusing at all. Because um, people still say, oh, I'll meet you at Phoenix Arts and they still go to the wrong place. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was there doing the, um, the 50th anniversary images. For, for, it was a kind of a day of all things that had sort of like dance, um, a lot of music, um, and also um, some, some reading, some poetry. And you know, you kind of quietly stick to your own sort of stereotypes and think, oh, here we go, you know, dull. Then this, uh, this lady stepped up and um, started reciting some poetry, and you know, my God, you listen. Yeah. When you actually hear someone do it properly, it's, um, it's an interesting. That, that was again kind of a, you know, a, a light bulb moment mm. uh, for me, really. Uh, the lady's name actually is uh, Carol Leeming, who's um, very active on, in, in the, uh, the arts on the, in the local scene. Okay. Um, and we've actually become quite good friends sort of since, and uh, we've done a number of things professionally together. We actually um, shot a, a short film that was actually screened at the New Phoenix, just to make things really confusing, um, at the back end of last year, um, and then had a, an, another screening of that at the, um, the, the Little Theatre at the, um, uh, above the Western. Oh, right. um, so it's kind of, again, that was amazing really to see something that actually done on a big screen. So do you think you've become more open-minded as you go on? Oh, definitely. Um, and it's, it's weird because everyone kind of looks at their job and think, you know, what can I take from my job? What can my job, you know, give me? And you've got the obvious things like an income so you can, you know, pay the rent and, you know, put food in the fridge and, you know, buy some, you know, food for your cat every so often. <laughs> um, but then if you look at the things it's, it gives you in, in other ways, um, I mean, I was sort of four years ago a relative hermit you know, just kind of, sort of stayed at home and just kind of watched movies, didn't really go out much. Um, I had no real reason to, just kind of um, had a bit of a break up and just thought, I just want a bit of time out, just, you know, yeah. just, just kind of step off the, you know, the, uh, the, the crazy train for a bit. And then by sort of going out and about, by having a camera and kind of having a, a want and a need to kind of do more with it, um, the only thing that kind of sprung to mind immediately was I've got some friends that played in bands. Yeah. So I thought, I know, I'll just go to their gigs and take some pictures, I guess, because, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, so go and do that. Um, and then, you know, from that, that's kind of then bled into, you know, the stuff that I did at the Phoenix. Um, I was then hired by um, a, a local magazine, uh, Pinstriping and Custom Graphics magazine. Um, they hold a, an annual show in, um, in Lincoln, and it's very much, I suppose, art in all forms. It's, the, as the, the, the magazine would suggest, it's a kind of an alternative kind of lifestyle magazine it's very much kind of sort of rockabilly pin-up pinstriping airbrush um you know um hot rods you know bikes you know it's kind of some pretty cool stuff and it's all the sort of stuff that kind of ticks you know ticks the boxes for me and kind of floats my boat yeah so i was um uh, hired by them to shoot their um their show up in lincoln and there i was introduced to the um uh, what was at the time i believe um the uk body paint league as they were. I was going to say, you've got quite a lot of body paint work on your portfolio. Yeah, that was, again, everyone's seen kind of face painting at, you know, kind of kids' parties and fates and all the rest of it. But this was the first time I was actually kind of introduced to actual, you know, full body paints with kind of props, prosthetics and, and various other things. And it was just like, again, it was just another kind of mind-blown moment, really. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of done a lot of that kind of work ever since. Um, work sort of very regularly with a, a local artist who's absolutely fantastic, a lady by the name of Sarah Smith. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and she does some amazing work, and you know, she's um, far too modest. She would never big herself up, but oh, um, I'll get to her. She is, <laughs> she is utterly, utterly brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I kind of do that as much as my schedule allows, really. Yeah. Well, you alluded alluded to earlier working full time, coming here most nights, finishing at midnight, one o'clock. There's not much time for sleep. No. Um, I mean, fortunately, I, if I mean I haven't been to the, uh, to the doctors for sort of twenty five years. Um, just for no other reason, I haven't been ill. Um, the irony is, if you open my front door, there's the Bronson Medical Centre. It's directly opposite my house. I mean, you know, go figure. The best access to medical care. I've never needed to use it. <laughs> um, but if I was to go, they would probably tell me that I have insomnia. Um, but I think it's more, for me anyway, it's, it's quality of sleep. I mean, I, I sleep about four hours a night as an average. Yeah. Um, and when my head hits the pillow, absolutely spark out. Um, I have literally slept through the, the, the famous earthquake of a few years back. Oh, I slept through that one. Yeah, I slept through that one. <laughs> Good woke up in the morning, bright as a daisy, and then I was like, did you, did you see that? I'm like, nope, not a, not a sniff of it. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, uh, I think that's the thing, you know, and the, the thing to kind of avoid, and I've always sort of tried to, is I used to work in a coffee shop as a Saturday boy, um, and that kind of put me off coffee for life, really. So I don't, okay. really, so I don't do coffee, so I tend to just sort of drink pints of water during the course of the day. So I'm well hydrated, hence, you know, the youthful eyes. <laughs> um, and I kind of try and avoid kind of energy drinks and kind of pro plus and this kind of thing. So I think if you have to kind of use stimulants to push you through the day to get to that point, mm. then at some point your body's going to crash and you're going to fall over because it's just not, you're doing more than your body kind of wants you to do. Mm. If you can kind of condition yourself and do it naturally and sleep well when you can, I think, I think it all works out fine. I so think, has that been a deliberate lifestyle or you just always stay <laughs> well, up late watching movies well no, what, it, what it actually was it's um well the girl i was uh, cohabiting with a while back um it, it, it's fair to say we had some you know some some tough times near the end and um i just wanted a few hours where i wasn't being nagged or shouted at so when she used to go to bed i just used to stay up for late and, thought, <laughs> and then uh, sort of never broke then you know that just got later and later and never sort of broke the habit yeah but it's actually aided your... Yeah, it's just, it's just, if anything, now I've got kind of something to kind of fill the time with. Because mm. I think most people will use, and I'm definitely one of them, lack of time as a reason why they can't be creative. And working full time and different commitments and making the dinner and walking the dog. And it's really easy to kind of go, oh, well, I've only got an hour. Where you put us all to shame by, you haven't got an hour. You've got eight hours if you want to. Oh, yeah, you've got, you can... you got, you got a if you want to go that way. But, um, and again, well, since I've sort of moved in here, um, which was what, 1st of August last year, um, I've tried to kind of make a point of kind of calling it a few hours before I'm due to go to bed. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, I generally get here about sort of, you know, seven o'clock most evenings and sort of averagely finish about midnight. Definitely want to be kind of done by one o'clock. There's, there's always the odd exception to that rule. Mm. Um, I remember working on a, on a, a job for... Uh, um, a, a very good friend and um, colleague of mine, a chap by the name of um, Scott Ciccino. Um We ended up doing a 22-hour shift um, to, to do an advert that we kind of said was five days worth of work and we had two. Wow. So, yeah, so it started at eight in the morning and uh, finished at six o'clock the following morning. Um, I didn't want to look at another graphics tablet ever again. <laughs> I'm not surprised. So, but, but, you know, got the job done. That's the, uh, that, that's the main thing. But fortunately, those days are very few and far between. Mm. So what's your driving force what's your motivation um, I just want to get better at what I'm doing really that's mm -hmm. that's kind of the thing it's kind of if you were to look at you know what what's the what's the goal it's just to be better you know because again you know I look at 
um, sort of you know images and videos and various other things and you know it, it's better than the stuff I can do yeah and so you know it's kind of just striving to get to that level where you kind of you know you feel comfortable I mean it's only really do you think that exists I think it, it, it I think worryingly it does I think there's the, there's certain levels I think I'm fairly happy with some of the stuff that I've done over the last 12 months mm. um, I think you know somewhere along the line just, I kind of turned a bit of a corner and actually did some pretty interesting work with some again some great people I've got to work with you know so it's not just it's not just me of course it's you know I'm just the guy that presses the button and takes all the glory at the end of it you know it's everything else that kind of goes into it yeah um, but the problem with being happy with what you're doing is that you do then start to kind of relax a bit mm. and I don't want to be that guy so I'm, I'm kind of bashfully happy but kind of with with a nod that it's not good enough yet just got to keep uh, going yeah and just just got to keep got to keep trucking so what's your kind of wildest ambition what what's what are you grasping for what would you like to do dream project well I don't know I mean I, I'd love to um actually go and do some well actually do more kind of documentary work you know kind of go to sort of Africa war zones that kind of thing and actually okay. you know actually document what's kind of going on in the world you know without the the fake news of CNN and whatever else that Mr. Trump thinks yeah. is going on. You know, <laughs> just actually, you know, internet, keep it real. Yeah. Um, so i definitely like to do sort of more of, of that kind of thing, you know, and actually, you know, just do something that actually matters, I guess, it'll be, it means something. Mm. So have you always been supported with your creativity or is this something you've kind of done on your own and your friends have kind of bolstered you? Yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of sort of very sort of self-motivated and... and Bloody minded. I mean, uh, you know, somebody once said it was like living with the Terminator, <laughs> which I thought was cool. Apparently, it wasn't meant as a compliment. Oh dear. Um, but you know, you, you live in I, I took it as a compliment. That's the, that's the main thing. Um, I think you know, you it, it, people are all different, but you have to be enough within yourself because if you're not enough yourself, you'll never be enough with other people shoving you along. Mm. You know, it's it's great. I mean, everybody, you know, all my sort of you know collective of friends that I have now probably. 95% of which I didn't know four years ago yeah. um, have, been, have been fabulous, you know, they've, um, they've always been sort of very complimentary and very supportive. Um, I don't handle compliments well. Mm. Um, I'm quite happy to say that, you know, someone said, mate, that was terrible, what were you thinking when you did that? I said, yeah, you know, you were bang on right with that. What was I thinking, Rob, you idiot? Um, but I think it's really nice that you've got this kind of collaborative approach to thinking about your work, because it's not a one-man band, it is the makeup artist, the model, the yeah, situation, the band, whatever. Yeah, because you think you know, with, without without any of those things, you've got nothing to you've got nothing interesting. Mm. This was getting back to what I was saying earlier: content is king. Yeah. You know, um, to follow um, Scott's three rules, it's you know, compose it properly, light it well, and make the subject interesting. Mm. And in a nutshell, that is photography one hundred and one. Yeah. You know, and it's it's it's, it's very sound advice. Mm. Have you? Um, come across any of the Roland Barthes essays on photography? No, I, I don't read, that's kind of one of my things. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, that's the, that's the reason I watch, I watch so many movies, I, I think I've read, I think, three or four books since leaving school. Um, two of those are biographies, pretty much. Because so. he just got a really interesting view on photography and memory, um, and I just wondered what you thought about that, whether it aids our memory or creates it. I think it's, it's like so many things. Um, uh, you know, you can be... Sort of walking down, you know, um, a sort of a, you know Parisian high street, and and you'll smell something coming from a bakery. And you're like, ah, oh, that's what grandma used to make. 
Yeah. And you know, just that one thing just teleports you to somewhere else. Mm. And it could be the same thing, um, you know, when you see a picture, it's like you see the Guinness Toucan, you know, I'm back home in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, the, you know, these little things, and it's like, the, you know, we associate things with, with, you know, and that's kind of how human minds work, you mm. know, be it, you know, an image, a story, whatever. Um, I mean, I don't know if you had the same thing that I did at school, um, where they tried to sort of teach you the order of the planets. And, they were, and there was a little story. They didn't just say, here they are, and this is the order, and then learn that. It, there, was a, it now. there was always a little story. And that was kind of, because it was one links to another, links to another, and you were kind of writing an image in your head as you were going through this story, that it all kind of made sense. Like brain training. Yeah. Um, and, you know, an association. And that's kind of, I guess that's how it goes. So I think sort of strong imagery. I mean, you know, if you look at some of the... Um, Certainly in the music world, like you know, some of the you know the, the sort of iconic pictures of like Hendrix, the Stones, and you just look at that one picture and you're just like, wow, you know. Do you think when it's, I think the idea of the icon is really interesting, and do you think that those images are iconic, or do you think the subject was iconic? Well, the subject was iconic because back to sort of rule number one: content is king. Mm. Um, you could take that same shot with the same lighting, with the same camera, with the same lens and the same film as it was back in those days um, of Joe Bloggs on the street and it's not the same thing. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting. So like with Monroe, you yeah. oversaturated, see it everywhere. So it's kind of become separate to her. Yeah. So you have, I think you've got kind of two sides to it depending on, on your thing you'll have sort of fans of Hendrix that could care less about the picture and it's just, oh dude, it's a picture of Jimmy. And, mm. and you know, they're, they're, they're loving it. Equally, you'll have kind of people, kind of artists, sort of graphic designers, photographers that look at the actual imagery and they're like, wow, you know, it's, it's an awesome image of a rock legend. Yeah. You know, so it all kind of, I think the two kind of go hand in hand really. Mm. You, know, cause if you, you know, if you get somebody of, of, of that note and you know, you kind of hit that, that big image, it's, you know, it's just, just golden ticket really yeah I just thought you're saying that content is king and one of the roles of the photographer is to bring out something interesting about the subject yeah I just think that that is a really key role and I think sometimes the subject it's not that they're not interesting but it's that wrestle between the image maker and yeah. the subject and that's where kind of as a, as a photographer your job if you're working alone on set at least anyway um, is you know you have to wear many hats and one of them is a director yeah you know if you if you're sort of working um you know um with a model for example you, you know they, they generally fall into sort of different categories and you've got your sort of very experienced models who instantly knows you know what pose looks good and how you know to to hold the face so that it looks good and and angles and they're brilliant you know they're, they're an absolute breeze to work with you then on the other side of that you know you've got kind of inexperienced models who don't really know what they're doing they're just kind of Somebody told them, that, you know, they're, they're attractive, you know, male or female, by the mm. way, so it's not a gender issue. Um, and they decided to have a go at modelling, so they don't really know what they're doing. It's your job then as a photographer to kind of take them by the hand and guide them and mm. sort of explain to them what looks good and why it looks good and do it in a sort of a very encouraging fashion. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some people working and they're just, just really, really rude. Really? And it's just, really? What, you know, it's like, forget what's going on, it's just you know, not how you treat people. Yeah. You know, especially when you've got someone sort of young and experienced, because at the end of the day, um, none of us knew anything once upon a time. Yeah. You know, you, we were sort of born sort of knowing that we needed milk and that was about it. That, that was, mm. You know, everything else, we, you know, we've, we've learnt and is a product of, 
you know, our, our life and our experiences. So, you know, it's like as drivers, when people see, sort of see a learner, they're like, oh my God, learner's in the way, ah. Yeah. But, you know, you were that guy once upon a time. Mm. So, you know, just, just relax and let them get off the road and then, you know, just, just chill, you know. It doesn't really impede your journey by more than a few minutes, just, you know. Yeah. Just try and be nice. And chill. Yeah. 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 And it's the same thing, you know, it's so like, uh, maybe because I wasn't, you know, a, a traditional photographer and I didn't go to university, um, you know, I must have missed the module about how to be rude to people. Is, is, is the route to success? <laughs> I don't remember that lesson, but <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sure there must have been one because I've seen enough guys yeah. that, that have done it. But then that that tends to be certainly from you know the, the experiences I've had. You're uh, you kind of butthurt professional that blames the amateur for taking food off his table. Mm. You know, I think you know the guys that I've known that are genuinely good and you know have sort of inspired me have been nothing but you know, friendly and supportive, really. Mm. So what would be your advice for someone just bought a camera, want to get into it, don't really know where to start? I mean, the main thing is, um, I would say, go out and just go out and do it, because that's, that's what I did. You know, just, just go out and, and, and try and be as diverse as you can, shoot as much different stuff, you know, from sort of wildlife to landscapes to... Um, I'm now doing an awful lot of food photography, which is great, by the way. It um, looks great. Do you get to eat it after? You do, but it's stone cold. That's that's oh. that, that's that's the, <laughs> that, that's the bit that nobody else gets to see. Oh man, you get to eat all that. So yeah, but it's stone cold by the time you finish your shoot. Do you get to kind of get your tweezers out and put the, the seeds in the right place? No, not not so much actually. I'm I'm pretty um, I'm pretty honest actually where that's concerned. You know, the the ice cream is ice cream. It's not mashed potato in yeah. my images. Um, you know, we've not got the hairspray out on the asparagus. And, you know, <laughs> all, all, all these kind of like food hacks that that uh, everybody's seen. Um, I mean, I I think. What, personally speaking, I think what you um, photograph for, for a restaurant should be representative of what the person paying for the food will receive. Yeah. So pretty much the dishes come out as the, the chef has presented them to me, and yeah. that's kind of how I've captured the image. And that's kind of my... Not in the Burger King kind of way where it's all stacked up. Not the in the Burger King where it's all, you know, multiple layers and stacked together and it's about a foot taller than the thing yeah. that you get when you actually get it. So... Um, no, I mean, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty real, actually, where that, that side of things are concerned. Um, and pretty much all my food stuff is shot with natural light as well, as opposed to uh, strobing. Okay. I mean, there, there is um, a few exceptions to that rule, because some places just are so dark inside mm. that you kind of have to push your, your camera and your kit to such a, what I would consider an unacceptable quality level mm. to be able to get a decent exposure. Um, which is why if you look behind you, you have a, a propensity for rather large umbrellas. They are rather large. Yeah, so I mean, that's a kind of my, kind of my uh, go-to setup at the minute, is, 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 is huge umbrellas, which give a very sort of soft, sort of very sort of natural light, as opposed to that kind of really hard rabbit and headlights that you get from kind of small flashes and, yeah. and what have you. What is your favourite creative memory or project that you've worked on? Oh, blimey, now you're asking, because every time I do one, I think, oh, this was cool. <laughs> um, I'd probably say, not necessarily because of the quality of the work that came out of it. But certainly one of my favorite memories was um, my first um, uh, sort of, I guess, yeah, I'd, I'd say definitely it was my first body paint shoot that I actually organized as a private shoot as opposed to sort of part of a group shoot or an event. Um, I met a, um, a young model um, when I was looking to do some, um, some vintage work. I was, um, probably getting a bit uh, emotional, I was kind of digging through my dad's old photo albums um, a number of years back. And you know, they're all old, all old Polaroids and there's everything was wrong about them from a, from a technical standpoint. You know, there was a weird kind of green or kind of magenta colour cast to it. 
they weren't sharp. There was like thumbprints all over them and light leaks and you know everything that a good Polaroid should be. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> just what you want. Just just what you want. You know, it's kind of what you know. It's kind of the the, the signature blend really. And um, I thought, you know what? It'd be kind of nice if you could kind of get that feel, but with with modern kit where it's you know it's a bit sharper and you've got a bit more control over the colours and stuff. But fundamentally, still got that nice kind of old school look. Yeah. Um, so I put a casting out and went to the um, the Great Central Railway in Loughborough. Um, where you know they still run the steam trains and all yeah, that, yeah. which is a fabulous thing at the keeping that alive. And um, I kind of um, arranged for this this model to be there, and she was great. Turned up in like a mum's old fox fur and stuff. Uh, you know, she really looked the part, like a little porcelain doll. I thought she was absolutely brilliant, and you know, quite, quite the actress actually, as it turned out as well. Um, so we kind of did the shoot. We just kind of got got chatting, um, and straight afterwards, I had a um, a body paint shoot, which was um, Fifty Shades of Grey themed. Mm. And I just kind of ventured in. I said, "Oh, you know, we just kind of had some, you know, some handcuffs or you know, some kinky stuff to kind of take along as a prop. I haven't really got anything." And she was kind of, "Yeah, well, you know, you should have said I'd have brought something." I'm like, "Yeah, what have you got?" And then um, she handed me a business card. Um, turns out she was a, a professional dominatrix with, ah. a, with a fully equipped dungeon. <laughs> so um, she had all the toys. She had all of the toys, and 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 then some. I mean, you know, I'm, I thought I was a man of the world until I, I sort of met her. So. <laughs> Uh, and so I kind of she sort of sent me some pictures of a dungeon, um, and I thought, wow, what what an amazing space! Mm. I thought, you know, then you kind of got the the cogs wearing really, and I uh, thought, you know, what, we could do a really cool shoe here. What we could do, we could do like a heaven in hell, where we could have a demon, we could have an angel, yeah, and you know, we could have, you know kind of tell a bit of a story here. So I kind of um, spoke to a, a friend of mine who's a burlesque performer and model, um, lady by the name of uh, Raven Lenore. Who, if you look, dig through my portfolio, you'll see lots of images of. You know, we've worked together on a number of stuff, and this was the first time we'd actually sort of worked together. I kind of met her on the burlesque scene, and you know, she was always very, um, very sort of stoically professional. You know, sort of very, very serious. You know, very, um, very professional. And I thought, yeah, she she'd be great as an angel. Mm. I kind of earmarked sort of Viv as the as the demon because it just kind of made sense to me. Really. <laughs> um, and then. Um, I had um, Sarah Smith and um, Steph Bowring as the um, as the artists, and so yeah, we did the um, did the shoots at her place. Made use of the, you know the, the pulleys and the hoists and the props and all the uh, all the other bits and pieces, yeah. uh, and it was great because it was just I mean the images were great. They were published in um, Twisted Edge magazine, oh cool, uh, which was kind of nice. Um, sort of like, I think pretty sure that's other than the the one I was hired to do for PKG. That was the first publication that I was actually featured in. Um, and it was just get it framed on the wall. And it was just it was just I've got it ironically digitally in my Dropbox. <laughs> of course, it's so of course, of course, it's digital because that's that's my thing. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of that was the first one where I kind of had to kind of coordinate sort of multiple people and get artist schedule, model schedule, get timing schedules, get everyone to kind of together and kind of then obviously then direct the thing and kind of work out what the story was going to be and what the narrative was. And basically, it turns out that we we had the angel descending on the the, the pulley sort of into the, the clutches of the waiting demon who then became enslaved with the beauty of the angel and became the prisoner herself. So that, that that's that, that if you actually have a look at through the set, that's that's kind of hopefully what you what you get Very from cool it. Very cool concept. Um, and again it was pretty much all, all done in body paint which was, was kinda of neat. So most of the things that I've I've really enjoyed doing has been that way related. I remember doing with um, Sarah first um, she asked me if I fancy doing a Halloween shoot. Yeah. And I've always kind of steered away from sort of themed shoots because they're they do generally have more than a, a faint whiff of camembert, I will be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 
but it was Sarah, so I was just like, yeah, cool. And um, also working with a model, I really, I'd seen Sarah work with a lot, but I'd never actually met or spoken to myself by the name of uh, Joe Kawasaki. Um, so we basically did a, a, um, a female Freddy Krueger um, sort of Halloween body paint shoot. Wow. And, and at one point she did actually strangle Sarah, who has a habit of smiling and laughing every time she's been killed by a model. Um, so, <laughs> Direct. You know, so yeah, she needs to, but it's, well, if you ever meet Sarah, it's, it's impossible. She's just too smiley, you know. Aww. So she's, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to um, kill her and have her actually sell the kill. Um, but yeah, so, so she got killed off at the start of that. Um, yeah. She was laughing actually when she got decapitated by, by Viv when she did the paint after that. Um, so that's another one that was just just loved every minute of it. Um, friend of mine, um, Doe Demure is a stage name, um, who whose burlesque evening it was where I met Raven Lador. So it all kind of yeah. lines all sort of ties in. Um, she just recently um, opened her own uh, dance studio across town. Um, fantastic space, and I thought, well, this would be cool for a photo shoot. And then just kind of again, just all of it kind of came together. Um, it's amazing what you get when you start. Yeah, and then it's just kind of a lot of it. Kind of, it's people I've met along the way, and you know, and people you kind of know. And I guess as you kind of you travel, you 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 know the the rocky road that is freelance. That um, you know, it's the people you pick up along the way. It's kind of like a hobbit's tale. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of like that. You know, it's um it's weird. You know, you kind of start off on your top, but and even though you know, I'm pretty much. For the most part, with a few exceptions, if I'm doing like a bigger scale sort of video job, um, you know, there's a couple of people I can call in to, to give me a hand. Um, if I'm shooting a wedding video, I will never do that just on my own because yeah. one person can't do a competent job. Mm. You know, it's one of those, you only go to Subway and you think, well, I have a six inch or a foot long. And you have the six inch and it just feels less than half of a foot long. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It really does. It's kind of like that, I think, with wedding videos is that, yes, you, yes, you can do a job on your own. Um, I think for the most part you should always have two people um, and I'm at the point now where I actually won't accept a booking if they just want to keep, kind of keep the cost lower yeah. and just have sort of one person because it's not, I, I won't be able to do what I think should be done. Yeah and it's kind of a that. wasted cost as well, I think people do try and cut, cut corners sometimes um, but if you're going to pay for someone to come and video your wedding then it yeah, needs you know, find to a, either find a bit of extra cash and do it properly or don't bother, um, have Uncle George do it on his camera phone, um, take the money you were going to pay the videographer, put it behind the bar and have a good night on it. Exactly. You know, so that, that's, that's kind of your options really. That's, yeah. that's kind of my advice for anybody actually. When Don't half do it. When look, yeah, when if you're looking for a photographer, if, if, you know, if you've got someone that's kind of offering to do your wedding for you for like sort of 300 quid, just... Don't don't bother mm. because if you think of what goes what should go into at least anyway sort of a decent wedding shoot, you know you'd have um, you know you'd have a, a meeting with the couple, you know sit down and chat about you know what sort of stuff do they like you know what kind of how would they like the images kind of to look you know to be processed and, and that kind of thing. Um, you'll go to the rehearsal you know to so you get to have a look at the venue have a look at the lighting where you can be speak to the vicar if there's anything you, you, you can do you know whether you're allowed to use flash whether you're not and these are all things that you kind of then know on the day you've got a solid game plan because you, you're prepared yeah you know so you, you've been to the venue you've met the couple you you, you go and do the, the job that you've, you've, you've set out um, I always tend to end up doing the schedule as well so that you kind of sit out right I'll be at the, at the bride's house at nine off to the venue for 11 for the grooms meet, you know, greeting your guests yeah. bride arrives at 12 wedding till one formal till two back to the venue a couple of glasses of champagne set you out for the um, the couple shots 
back in then for the wedding breakfast and then you have got and then you've got another pause and then you're off for the first dance and then you've got the cutting of the cake because yeah. again on, on on your day you're just being whisked along mm. so you know you, you're planning all this and then you know you're gonna have you know a good few hundred images to go through on, on an average wedding shoot mm. so again you've got to sit down and go through those and then you'll do kind of um, what i call like an initial edit where you kind of send them off to the couple and then generally they'll pick sort of 80 or 90 that they want for an album and those then you really go you know in, into uh, photoshop and you know make them beautiful or yeah. as perfect as they can be how so, much digital work do you do on uh, not necessarily wedding photos but on um, your photos it, it varies actually on the on the photo i mean the, the certain things most kind of I, I guess traditionally shot images um i tend to use um lightroom which is kind of like a light version of photoshop for for those that don't know um what's cool about lightroom is it's also your catalog um, in as much as it, you know, you can put things in specific folders, and that's all tied into it. Okay. It's got pretty much all the same color correction tools that you have in, in Photoshop. What it doesn't have is layers. Now, all the magic and all the power of Photoshop is in layers and masks. And once you kind of understand how those work, you know that the world is literally your oyster. Because mm. um, that's something else I do periodically is actually teach Photoshop classes for, for people. Okay. And I've done that sort of one to one and for and for groups as well. And you know, you can get some doing some really cool stuff in a day. Because the, the problem with things in, in like Photoshop, there's, there's so much in the software. You could spend two days just telling, just going through every tool and every filter, just saying what it does. Mm. And then you've got to think, right, how do we use this practically? Um, so if you can learn to use about 5% of Photoshop well, you can do 95% of the work you'll ever need to do. Yeah. Which is a more efficient way. Um, so most of my images are just edited through Lightroom where I can basically do my, you know, whatever colour correction I feel appropriate. And it's, normal, it's mainly things like, um, if, you know, I tend to shoot raw, as, you know, as, as a photographer. Um, yes, you can shoot JPEG and, you know, but you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> and yes, people say, well, I get it right in camera, mate. I don't need to edit my photos. And I'll say, well, you are editing them. You're just doing it in a camera. You've got your little colour profiles on the back of your camera where you've got five sliders, you know, sharpness, colour, you know, um, contrast. And you're deciding on a little tiny three-inch screen on the back of your camera how that image should be set. Um, I'd rather do that, you know, back at the lab on a 27-inch calibrated monitor. Thank you very much. That's a much better place to make that decision. And yes, you can tweak a JPEG, but why would you? The the only reason I think that um, you would shoot JPEG is if you're on the, um, the the front line as a sports photographer at the, at the side of the Man U Man City game, and the minute that goal goes in, that picture's got to go straight to the news desk. Yeah. Then you know what? Fair play, mate. You know what? That's 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 about being first. In almost every other situation, you're better off shooting raw. It's, you've got more data, you've got a, a, a more usable file, you have more options for correction later. Um, for, for weddings and, and big events, actually, I tend to shoot raw and JPEG, where it shoots a raw and JPEG version of the same image. Okay. Uh, this is another tip, actually, I got from Scott. And the reason being, if, you, if you, your memory card decides to go belly up and corrupt, you're more likely to be able to recover a JPEG file than you are a RAW file. So although it's not ideal... So it's not ideal. So, but, it's, so it's better to have the JPEG file than nothing, Yeah. is, is, is fair to say. Uh, in an ideal world, you've then got the backup of both. You know, you've got a, a RAW and a JPEG file. But yeah, but RAW is king. And I think anyone that says otherwise, you know, I respect your opinion, but, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I already know the answer to this one. But have you ever been tempted to do analogue? I, it's a standing joke that I'm not called analog mechanic. Um, <laughs> it, it, um, I, I've been tempted just to kind of, because I think actually for just personal preference, 
I think digital colour now is at the point. It is better than film. It just is. Um, but there's something nice about those kind of sort of film noir, grainy black and white film photos that you can get pretty damn close in digital. But I just think there's just something that little bit nicer potentially about the, the analogue file. For me, I think it's about the process. Like I've done a little bit of photography before and it's the smell of the dark room. It's the yeah. magic of it appearing. And I think that the way I express my creativity is definitely very hands-on. And I find with digital, as much as it's working with imagery, I'd miss that kind of tactile. Yeah, mess. although I will say that the, the, the you know everybody in the, uh, you know the, the film purists will say that we cheat in the digital realm these days, and it's all too easy and da da da. Um, but then you kind of remind them that things like compositing, dodging and burning, and you know exposure uh, compensation. Mm. Sorry, guys, that all came from you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just stuff that we're doing differently. It's just that we're using different tools to do it. Now we're not using chemicals; we're using a computer. Yeah. So the, I think the the process is the same in that, you know, you take your film out of the camera, you have to have the film developed. You take the card out of your camera, you put it into your computer. You then into Lightroom, and mm -hmm. then right, okay, now we're going to start correcting the image. Or in your case, you'd be burning it to to the paper, and you do a few test shots just to see which one you, which exposure length you liked and gave you what you were looking for yeah and then you think well that's great but that's a bit blown out oh, so it's I can definitely do that a lot and... more long-winded yeah, oh, yeah so <laughs> it's exactly the same process that we go through digitally yeah so it just depends what kind of sort of floats your boat and stuff really mm. i guess because i've never done it i don't i don't miss it yeah um and certainly practically and everyone will be honest about this for event work and things like weddings and stuff yeah. the, the, the 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 convenience of digital and the, the fact that you can you know, f put a thousand images on a card without needing to change it, and you're not you're not caught in the middle of you know the the walk down the tunnel with the confetti cannons going, and you've mm. you've run out of film. And you're, ah, just give us a minute. What, yeah. like ten minutes now putting this done? No, you just just keep on trucking. Yeah. So you know, again, getting back to that, what's more important, having the the perfect image, or having having capturing the moment, it's yeah. better there to have the ability. In my opinion, of course, and that's that's by far and means no, not fact. Um, just, I think it's just it's a far more usable format for event work. Mm. Um, no, again, um, you know, studio work and what have you. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know, you're into sort of medium format cameras by by that point. Mm. Um, and again, if you look at what you can buy, because nobody wants them anymore, like old medium format film cameras and the lenses, they're amazing. Yeah. You know, and you can buy and pick one up for a few hundred quid, the equivalent of something that cost you, you know, twenty, thirty grand in the digital world. Crazy. You know, if, if if you know if you look at an old an old you know Hasselblad something like that, you know you pay maybe two grand for it. Modern ones you'd be lucky if you get changed with a, with a decent lens out of fifty grand. Wow. So it's a it's a budget way of kind of getting that level of, of mm. image. It's going down the film route, and I love the fact that you know films had a bit of resurgence because you know I was you know, I was you know a, a, a child of the seventies and eighties, so you know I kind of grew up with film and records and all the rest of it, and it's kind of nice that all that's kind of back in vogue. Yeah. Even to the point where you've actually got boots now selling thirty-five millimeter film again. Yeah, brilliant. You know, I, yeah, I, the party camera. Yeah, you know, I, but that actual film rolls of film. Mm. You know, it's, it's like awesome. So you know, again, it's that yes, you know, you could argue it's a lot of hipsters just jumping on the bandwagon with film. But do you know what? Back to what we said right at the start of the interview, it's getting people out there taking photographs. It's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that that can only be a good thing for the world, frankly. I think that's probably a good way to end it. Awesome, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. You see what I mean? Amazing work ethic. A massive thank you to Rob for opening up his studio to me and letting me have a sneak peek behind his creative life. 
I find his story incredibly inspiring, so I hope you did too. You can find all the details about the creative people Rob has collaborated with in the show notes. And that's it for another month, but please feel free to join the Facebook group to connect with other creatives. I'm just about to start a month of daily challenges to get those creative juices flowing, so there's never been a better time to get involved. I look forward to welcoming you in soon. Until next time, take care and keep curious.